Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. Same thing happens to two people. One person decides to go left. The other person decides to go right. What was it that they understood? You know, I think for me, like, I definitely had a belief that I didn't die when I was a teenager. And there was a moment where I almost took my life and somebody, God showed up in my life to save me. And I've just always felt like it was my responsibility to kind of take advantage of that second chance. And because of that, I just don't waste the day. So maybe that's the the meaning and the story that supported my journey. And that's the message I try to share with people anyways, but I don't, I don't know. It's kind of a crazy, crazy scenario, but you're right. Like there is definitely a correlation of, you know, Like even the fact that I went to jail twice, like I had like a 98% chance of coming back and staying in the system for the rest of my life. Like it's, it's, I definitely beat the odds, but I still can't, I I tried as best I can try to figure out like what belief, what is the core belief? What is the primary belief that I had that allowed me to kind of snowball into a different journey? I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Dan, welcome back to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Oh, my pleasure, man. Super honored and my goal is to make this, and I know you've had incredible guests, but why not call our shots? Um, one of the best podcast interviews I've ever done. That's the goal. <laughs> well, um, then, you know, no pressure at all, but we had you here. I was, I was looking back at, at the archives trying to figure out when we last had you here, and it was about eight years ago. Uh, and since then, you have written a new book called Buy Back Your Time, which recently became a Wall Street Journal bestseller, all of which we will get into. But before we get into the book, I wanted to start asking you, what did your parents do for work? And how did that end up shaping what you've ended up doing with your own life and career? Yeah, it's a fun question. Um, My mom, we had four kids in our family. So she was a dedicated, um, you know, mom maker of just family and stuff. She actually ran a fish and chip wagon when I was in my kind of early teenage years, uh, because her and my dad just always found that a fascinating idea of just like fish and chips as in like, like what we would call a food truck. But back in the day, she was Mrs. Chips. So she ran that probably for four years when I was like nine, 10, 11, 12. Um, 
And my dad was started off as an electrical engineer, kind of um, electric engine maintenance guy, and eventually worked his way up to shop foreman, and then eventually taking over the um, the whole plant that did electric engine uh, repair and maintenance and stuff. And you know what, how that shaped me was a hundred percent being in a car with somebody that was you know high level sales selling to you know Fortune two thousand companies. Um, Eventually, the company was Westinghouse, um, and then eventually they got bought by Siemens, which is a large company of Germany. And yeah, I, I pretty much got an MBA sitting next to my dad on early days of car phones and whatnot, driving around um, the province I grew up in in Canada and just listening to him put deals together. And he'd hang up the phone and then he'd be all excited and tell me what he did. And I didn't know it at the time, but I was I was learning quite a bit about negotiation and business and sequencing and had a big impact. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know from our previous conversation, you got into quite a bit of trouble when you were younger, you know, you were arrested. What I'm curious about is how somebody like you that comes from the background that you did ended up on that trajectory, because it just doesn't seem like the kind of environment that would lead to that outcome based on what you're telling me about your parents. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those situations I get the call often from you know, last week I had a woman reach out her husband, her husband, her uh, son's 28. And, you know, within the last year went from normal 28 year old to raging cocaine addict, you know, and what happened for me is just, I got diagnosed with ADHD when I was 11 and, um, you know, started to like have some kind of personality issues around like personal self-worth and just value and, um, had anger issues, you know, and I learned, you know, later on in therapy that a lot of it came down to just my dad being away from the home traveling so much. And, and then I just became unmanageable at home. My parents uh, eventually just um, asked, you know, our social worker that we were working with as a family to uh, place me in, in foster care, like essentially just, I, they couldn't handle me. I was just hyperactive, angry. Um, and what happened was, is I got put in foster care for a little bit. I didn't last too long. Cause again, I, I acted out there and the, my foster dad, Dave, just couldn't deal with me. Um, I, I, it's kind of a fun, funny story today. Absolutely not at the time, but essentially I lit off about 12 roaming candles in his living room by accident and um, almost burned down his house. So yeah, he had every right to not want me, um, you know, in his home anymore. But I ended up in a group home with people that were a lot older than me, 12, 13 years of age. And learning stuff I shouldn't have been learning. That's why I got introduced to drugs and my life spiraled out of control and just ended up kind of like, you know, I'd say the most like closely, like an, a kind of an analogy would be kind of like a sons of anarchy type environment where I was hanging out with people in motorcycle gangs, selling and trafficking large amounts of drugs and seeing and hearing and doing stuff that I definitely shouldn't have been doing as a 14, 15 year old. And uh, that's what happened. I just life spiraled out of control and ended up in prison first time I was 15, second time when I was 16. And luckily I ended up in a rehab center that saved my life and um, put me on a completely different path. Yeah. Like parents putting a kid who's causing them trouble in foster care, like that's, you know, a whole you know, level of like dynamics that I'm sure probably requ would require an hour conversation just on that alone. But what was the impact of that on your relationship with your parents? I mean, when I was younger, it was, it was pretty traumatic. I mean, 
you know, it was kind of this weird dynamic where when my parents got divorced when I was 13, I definitely played them against each other. So my mom was super lenient, like almost as if she wasn't around, like let us do whatever we wanted, would, you know, even go to the, when we were 15, 16, would go, you know, to liquor store for us, that kind of thing. So there was that. And then there was my dad, you know, in his home, which was the opposite structure wise, but not his home as often. So gave us a lot more time to, you know, get in trouble in a just completely different set of ways. And I would go back and forth between them. So yeah, it was, you know, I, like every kid, I think I always kind of, um, as a boy want, you know, crave my dad's affection and, um, acceptance and kind of, um, that on that side of the level. And then on my mom's, there was a part of me that was like, I knew that what she was doing wasn't really being a strong mom. So I was kind of upset with her, but also didn't complain because, you know, obviously enjoyed the uh, freedom, but yeah, it was, a, there was a lot of stuff we had to work through as a family. I mean, it's crazy today because like, you know, fast forward to, you know, I'm 43 now. So this has been 25 years ago. Um, you know, not only have I had an incredible career in entrepreneurship, you know, building and exiting companies, becoming a multimillionaire at 28, but my brother, Pierre, the second oldest, he's also become an incredibly successful entrepreneur. We both won um, entrepreneur of our province awards in different years. And they might, they told my dad, you know, not really knowing our upbringing and kind of what we went through as a family, but you know, joked with him if my other brother won it, I have a little brother Mo that uh, they would give him an award as a dad. So it's kind of funny, man. It's like incredible, crazy conflict growing up to a life that anybody from the outside looking at how we you know, interact. Like my dad's my best friend. We text every day, talk every other day. My mom and I talk every other day. So like it's, we went through a lot as a family and grew a lot. And, you know, to say, what was it like for me personally? I mean, different stages, different levels. I just, I got to a place where I appreciated everything I went through because it's made me who I am today. So I had, I had the best mom and dad any kid could ask for. I just didn't know it at the time. Yeah. How did, did your siblings end up in, you know, this kind of trouble too, or were their paths more, you know, less checkered than yours? Um, I would say similar behaviors, more lucky. That makes sense. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, definitely in trouble with the law different levels of trouble. And I think because I ended up in such serious trouble, it kind of scared them a little bit. You'd have to ask them. I've never really talked to them 100% on that. But, you know, there's an element of me getting clean and sober at 17 that I think affected them and caused them to go kind of think through their decisions. And yeah, they yeah. they just got through it a little, little less scathed than I did. Mm. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time. And now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Well, speaking of getting through this, you know, less scathed, you know, you go from, you know, one jail to another, then to a rehab facility that turns around your life. And two questions come from that. I mean, in the U.S., we effectively have what they call the school to prison pipeline. I remember talking to a guy who had spent something like uh, 25 plus years in prison here on the podcast. And he was telling me that the way that they actually plan for beds in prison is based on the kids of current inmates. And he said, you know, if you were there for that long, he said, you'd see like, you know, a son come in, you know, and his father would be in the jail with him. And so I wonder about two things. Uh, you know, you had this opportunity to turn your life around. What role do you think that one living in Canada and two, the fact that you're white played in your ability to turn that? Because I think that, you know, this story could have turned out so differently and it does for so many people as you and I spoke about last time. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough to understand because I, I still can't, when people ask me all the time, they're like, you know, what did what did you figure out that, cause like even in the rehab center I went to, like there's a lot of relapsing and you know, not every, I mean, I'm, I may be the only multimillionaire that came out of the program. So I don't know, but I, cause I still like, I literally go back and I speak to the kids every four months. It's been a big part of my life and, and many other things since then. But, um, 
I don't know. I, I always think about this, this idea of like PTSD and PTGD, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder, which is sometimes how people respond to traumatic moments. And in those same traumatic moments, those same scenarios, somebody else responds with post-traumatic growth disorder, which is kind of my path and journey and truth. So, you know, it's, it's one of those binary things, like same thing happens to two people. One person decides to go left. The other person decides to go right. What, what did they, what was it that they understood? You know, I think for me, like, I definitely had a belief that I didn't die when I was a teenager. And there was a moment where I almost took my life and somebody, God showed up in my life to save me. And I've just always felt like it was my responsibility to kind of take advantage of that second chance. And because of that, I just don't waste the day. So maybe that's the the meaning and the story that supported my journey. And that's the message I try to share with people anyways, but I don't, I don't know. It's kind of a crazy, crazy scenario, but you're right. Like there is definitely a correlation of, you know, it, like even the fact that I went to jail twice, like I had like a 98% chance of coming back and staying in the system for the rest of my life. Like it's, it's, I definitely beat the odds, but I still can't, I, I tried as best I can try to figure out like what belief, what is the core belief? What is the primary belief that I had that allowed me to kind of snowball into a different journey? Yeah. Well, I guess the reason I asked that question is because I feel like context matters so much here. You know, when it comes to the background that you're from, I mean, like it or not, race plays a role in all of this, particularly in the United States. Yeah. Like we can't argue that it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, no, race plays a part for sure. I mean, I, I, I've seen it personally, like, you know, some, some white Caucasian kids in jail for two weeks when the same activity was done by somebody of color and they had three months, yeah. right? Like why? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I see it all the time. I mean, so yeah, I, I think I'm a data guy. I'm a software guy. So like, I think the data proves it as well. Just geography, background, skin color, like there's clear data, you know, you, you can't, you can't deny that there's, there's biases in the system. But at the same time, like, I'm also friends with a ton of people that have gone through and done worse than me. And, you know, they have completely different backgrounds, you know, ethnic backgrounds and religious backgrounds, et cetera. And they've created incredible lives. So I think no matter who you are, there's definitely a story of somebody like you that has created something special that if you choose to give yourself permission to, you know, associate that potential that, you know, it's, it's available to everybody. Well, speaking of that potential being available to everybody, you had this moment uh, where you started to learn about JavaScript programming. I remember reading about that in the book where you just kind of were absorbed, I mean, in what we might nowadays call flow. Um, talk to me about that moment and, you know, why so many people miss that moment in their lives. Because I feel like I missed it for the longest time until I got a lot older. Yeah, I mean, what happened for me was, I was, it was towards the end of my program in rehab. It was this place called Portage and it was built on an old church camp. And I was, I was there for about 11 months at that point. And I was helping Rick, the maintenance guy, clean out one of the cabins. And we, you know, that we was just full of stuff. And in one of the rooms, there was this old 486 computer with a yellow book on Java programming sitting next to it. And I never touched a computer in my life, but I just opened up the book and it spoke to me because it was in English. I just thought it would be in like, you know, hexadecimal numbers, zeros and one, like it's computer coding. I didn't, I didn't know what it looked like, but I had some assumptions. And the fact that it read like English, I was like, oh, that's interesting. It's like, if this, then that. And so 
I, um, I started up the computer and just kind of followed chapter one of this book and the instructions were fairly clear. And then 20 minutes, I got the computer to say, hello world. And I don't know, it was kind of nuts because I was like, holy cow, like I got this thing to do what it said, maybe. And it was kind of unfounded because I th- the, th- the thought that crossed my mind, which is kind of irrational, was maybe I'm a potentially like a computer genius, like not a genius, but like my brain works in a way that's different than others because I thought it was abnormal that I got the thing to do what I expected it to. Now, in hindsight, knowing what I know now, I mean, any eight-year-old kid could do what I did. It's not, it's not that impressive, but it didn't matter. It just, the meaning I associate was like, oh, this is a thing. And I, and, and also there's something that spoke to me of just like writing instructions and having it just execute a hundred percent of the time. It was, you know, I think growing up in such chaos that predictability of writing software became my true addiction, if that makes sense. Like I just, there was something that just felt comforting and rewarding and um, exciting to build something that, um, you know, didn't, it wasn't, um, I just could count on it. It's really weird, but that's, that, that's what happened is I came out and I became obsessed with writing code. This is 1997, 98. And I discovered this small thing called the internet and it couldn't have been better timing. I, I like went from, writing programs on my computer to building web applications. And that was really the thing that, you know, drove me forward in my career, but also entrepreneurship, because for me, entrepreneurship became this like ultimate personal development program, which I didn't even know what that meant. I never even heard the term until I was like probably in my mid twenties, but you know, really I look back and I go like, Oh, writing code was my new addiction and entrepreneurship. Um, the path, towards betterment, like a forcing function for me to become better because I kept wanting to succeed more. And to do that, you got to become more. Yeah. It sounds like the the way that was for you is what writing and producing media is for me. Yep. I think that's the, I mean, everybody I think has a external expression, you know, Elizabeth Gilbert talks about it in, in big magic or, you know, it could be whatever it could be people. It could be, um, you know, some level of, of manufacturing or, you know, my, my oldest son right now, he's all into tech deck. So he's doing fingerboard tricks and he's built this like crazy, you know, city landscape out of cardboard. You know, I, I think we all have it. It's just sometimes as young adults or adults, we, you know, get on this path of like trying to do things for external validation that isn't really aligned with our heart and we forget to keep searching. Right. So it sounds like your media stuff. It was like, you're lucky you found it later in life because there's probably a scenario or world where that doesn't happen. And you know, you could be successful relatively to your, to your career, but it may not be the thing that lights your soul on fire. Yeah. Well, and speaking of which, uh, let's get into the book. I mean, what was the impetus for writing this book? Uh, why this book? And then, you know, why now? Yeah. I mean, I am a huge pro entrepreneur fan. Like, I think it's so cool that business owners wake up every day to make the world a better place for everybody else to live in. I know that sounds self-serving as an entrepreneur, but I I mean this for even the person that starts the lawn mowing company to the plumbing company, to the home building company, to the marketing agency, to the, you know, church, CrossFit gym, you name it. I'm just like, I just find that so cool that people dedicate themselves to 
solving problems for others. And what happened was, is just because all of my friends are predominantly business owners, I just started seeing a lot of challenges come up in their lives that I obviously had gone through because I was a lot further along in my journey, but I had a completely different perspective on how to solve these problems, right? And, And the book is really designed to help entrepreneurs build businesses they don't grow to hate. And that was the problem I wanted to solve because I had a very unique perspective on it. And it's called the buyback principle, but essentially the philosophy I have around the way I look at my calendar, my time and and my resources is just, you know, a hundred percent different than I think what, you know, creative specifically. I really wrote a book. It's kind of crazy because I had, I had to write a book that was going to work for, you know, my coaching clients who are like, you know, nine figure CEOs of software companies, as well as, you know, my friends that are artists, like, you know, my friend Jessa, who uh, is an incredible artist, but, you know, she feels constrained because every time she says yes to a project, she just, it eats up a lot of her time and it stresses her out. But, you know, I was trying to explain this. So I wrote a book by answering the questions that I kept getting asked by the people I cared about the most that I knew I wasn't doing them service or justice by not giving them the complete solution. And that's what this book's become is essentially my answer to how do I scale a company as well as a life that I will never have to retire from. Yeah. Well, one of the things you say in the opening of the book is that the little known secret to reaching the next stage of your business is spending your time on only the tasks that you excel at, you truly enjoy and add the highest value, usually in the form of revenue to your business. Likely two to three tasks fit that description. Every other task you're handling is slowing your growth and sucking the life from you, and you should clear it from your calendar. So, I mean, you pack this book with so many different frameworks and reference points. So, uh, you know, since I have you here, I figure I would be selfish. Let's actually use me as the case study and walk me through, you know, the combination of, you know, the buyback principle, um, the pain line, and then, you know, how to start basically implementing all this in the quadrants that you talk about. Yeah. So. I think the first thing we have to figure out is your buyback rate. So Srini, if I was coaching you on like scaling your life and your business, I would first, we try to figure out what, what is that number? And the buyback rate is a simple formula. And I know as soon as I do math, I'm going to lose half the audience, but bear with me. I'll make it fun. Um, essentially you take your income. What do you make? Right. And, and for entrepreneurs, it's what they pay themselves as a salary. It's what they take as distributions or profit per year. And it's also all this discretionary expenses, right? If you think of you know, I get people don't want to pay taxes. So, but those are real benefits that your business provides to you. You're just spending them on things, right? So, so then you have your income. So that amount of money, let's just keep it simple numbers, you know, call it a hundred thousand dollars, right? You might pay yourself 70, you get 20 in, in profit. And then you got another 10 K a year in discretionary expenses, like your cell phone bills and stuff that, well, maybe your cell phone bill you need for your business, but let's, let's talk about, you know, there's other stuff, right? Discretionary travel and meals. So, at 100K of income, you divide that by 2,000 because that's the average amount of hours that a normal person works in a year when you take holidays and vacations into consideration and weekends. <laughs> and then, so that number at 100K works out to about $50 an hour. Now, the buyback rate is actually that number divided by four because I want somebody to get a four times ROI on their investment in buying back their time, right? So, because it's not a one-to-one trade. If you're, if you're, if you're building out $50 an hour designing logos, you don't want to hire another designer to design logos because you're not actually 
winning, right? You should do their logos and then look at anything you could have paid uh, someone $12.50, which is a quarter of that $50, to free up your time to do more of the $50 an hour type task, right? Like, and that's the, that's the core premise because I just, I learned a long time ago, you know, you can't build a, a million dollar company off of $10 tasks, right? There's just not enough hours in the, the day. So you got to hire people. So the buyback principle states, we don't hire people to grow our business. We hire people to buy back our time because the number one killer of a business is not the market or the opportunities in, in the business. It's typically the CEO not loving what they're doing anymore and just deciding to do something else, right? Or mm-hmm. sabotaging themselves or deciding to sell or whatever it is. It's, it's essentially... The thing I thought I was creating is not what I've created. So I don't want to do this or I want to like just sabotage is another area. Um, so once you understand that, then you've got to use the buyback loop. And the buyback loop is is a three-step process. First, you got to do a time and energy audit, right? So Srini, I would, I would ask you to log everything you do in your calendar for two weeks in 15-minute increments. Sounds like a big effort. And it could be the, the short version of this. I don't recommend it if you're serious about it, but short version could be just looking at your calendar and looking at the things you do, right? And then for everything that you log over a two-week period, I want you to highlight in green things that you enjoy doing that light you up and in red, anything that takes energy from you. And then for those same tasks, I want you to put a dollar sign next to it, either one dollar sign for it would cost very little to pay somebody else to do this relatively to your buyback or your income, or it would cost a lot to pay somebody to do this, usually $4 sign. So that's like the ra- the rating is it's like one, it's like a meal, right? Or a restaurant rating, like how expensive is the meal? So $1 to $4. And then what's cool is once you do that ac- exercise, you've got a big bucket of red things and $1 sign, meaning low cost to pay somebody else to do that you put into a bucket. And that's the only work you should be hiring people to do, which is not how most business owners run things, right? <laughs> yeah. They, they hire people to do stuff because they're busy and they say, oh, I need somebody to edit my podcast. I need somebody to publish on social media. I need somebody to um, write my copy or I need somebody to book guests. And, and those could all be true. But until you look at your calendar and go like, oh, I'm spending 20 hours a week on email, right? Well, mm-hmm. I can pay somebody a lot less to process my inbox and respond to people for scheduling than I I can to to book guests and, and, and do a higher value task, right? I'm not saying you don't ever do, hire somebody to do that. I'm just saying the sequencing matters, what I call the replacement ladder in the book. Yeah. So that's, that's the big premise is like, how do we audit our time for energy and um, cost? And then how do we transfer those things to other people, which I, I share a strategy called the camcorder method in the book, which is very unique. And then how do I fill that up with things that are gonna increase my buyback rate? You know, either doing more work that's $50 an hour or whatever that dollar amount is for you all the time, or at least 30 hours a week, because that'll increase your buyback rate or invest in skills or beliefs or character traits. that's going to allow me to um, create more value in the market, right? So that you don't go from a, you know, a, a $30 an hour logo designer to a hundred or 150 or 250 an hour logo designer. What needs to be true for you to be able to command those kind of rates or you know, as a, as a leader, like how do you create more value in the market than anybody else in the world, you know, through your marketing, through your sales, through your delivery, through whatever, like that's what you should be spending your time on, not, you know, uh, running around doing errands. You know, I, I was talking to a friend of mine, he's a, he's a mechanic and he's like, I don't get how I would use this. I go, do you clean your own shop? He's like, yeah. It's like, 
don't. He's like, why? I go, because you make more per hour doing mechanic work than cleaning your shop. And he's like, yeah. So I'm like, then do that. He's like, well, I don't have that much work. Oh, got it. So you need to learn how to market your mechanic shop. So why don't you buy back your time to not clean it so that you can then spend that time to learn how to be a better marketer for your shop? Oh, see, that's the difference between my principle. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. 
Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time. And now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I mean, I've seen this firsthand in my life. Uh, and it's funny you mentioned, you know, hiring somebody to outsource podcast guests. And I, I would never do that for one reason, because that honestly is what I think sets us apart is the fact that I go out of my way to find people that aren't on other shows. And so that is one thing I would never outsource specifically because I enjoy it. And I think it, it's one of those things that sets me apart. It's I was like, yeah, nobody's, nobody's going to have my filter. Yeah. We get, you know, podcast guest booking agencies. And I'm like, yeah, I won't hire you guys. You can pitch us all day long, but I don't want you to source my guests for me. But you could, Trini, I would, I would push back a little bit. You could give a assistant yeah, criteria filter to go in source for you to do a final edit and then have them reach out on your behalf potentially. So, yeah. and I call in the book, I call that the 1080-10 rule. So there's ways to still get leverage even in highly creative endeavors. Um, I, I And I break them down into like Tom Clancy, the author, to, you know, Andy Warhol, the painter, to obviously Oprah, the, you know, the media mogul. Like there's, there's actually ways that buying companies with Buffett, like, if you actually see how the highest level people out there do it, you would see these patterns naturally immerse. And, and then you can just be inspired. I mean, Steve Jobs did this at Apple. That, that's a 1080-10 rule. I got it from watching Steve interact with Johnny Ives in the design studio, mm-hmm. right? Like he wasn't the one sitting there running the CNC machine to do prototypes, but he was definitely involved in the creative inputs that would push the boundaries of the products they would make. But then they had a team that would prototype and try stuff and source stuff and all that stuff. So he bought back a yeah. ton of time and then would just come back at the end for the integration part where, you know, his genius would have the biggest impact anyway. And I mm-hmm. think that's true for most creatives. I mean, I, you know, I'd mentioned to you earlier that we'd started this consulting business where we're driving, you know, uh, YouTube ads to my YouTube channel. And I realized I was like, you know what? I'm not an expert in YouTube ads. I'm an expert in you know, this note-taking app and the video tutorials I create. So I finally hired somebody to manage all of it. And I saw the sales basically triple after I hired them, even though it was costing me 800 bucks a month. I was like, okay, that was a no-brainer. Easy peasy. I mean, this is, but again, all of that without using the lens of your calendar, mm-hmm. to me, I don't know if that was the right move. Yeah. So that's what's interesting. People are like, well, who should I hire next? I go, it's literally a principle and a process. So if you... If you've done the time and energy audit and then showed me what it is, then I can help you be creative about how to find that individual. Because even even that idea, right? Like some people are like, okay, so I've got bookkeeping that's 10 hours a week and I could pay somebody a low dollar. I have, I have um, you know, my email and calendar stuff. I have this, like, how do I, how do I hire somebody to do all of it? Well, that's actually interesting because my first assistant had a background in finance. Why? Because that, I made that a prerequisite because it was a big part of what I was doing as a solopreneur. So you can hire somebody that's got a bookkeeping background that can also process your emails in your inbox and publish on social media for you. Mm-hmm. That is one person, yeah. right? Because guess what? Every person listening to this that doesn't have that, that has those functions in their business is one person currently doing that. Mm-hmm. So there's proof in just people's lives that they can be done. You just got to make sure that you Hire somebody that can take up all three. And for a lot of people, it's a belief thing, not a 
reality or fact they are. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about the four quadrants that you talk about, which are, you know, the investment quadrant, the production quadrant, uh, and the other two somehow didn't make it into my notes, but I know there are four quadrants that we kind of put all of our tasks into. Yeah. Delegate and invest or production. I mean, it's called the drip matrix. So the drip matrix essentially is kind of an X, Y quadrant, um, a two by two matrix for, you know, things that light you up and then things that make you a lot of money. Right. So in the, and it's in chapter two of the book, page 21. And like, what happens is, you know, when you start off, you want to, you want to, like you said, like that 95, five thing, like 95% of the stuff you're doing doesn't really add that much value. In the bottom left corner, you have this quadrant called delegation, right? And delegation is stuff that immediately, you know, you should stop doing, right? So these, these are the $1 sign red things in your life. And, you know, the way we look at it, sometimes it's called the three D's, right? So, so what are the three D's is delegate, delete, or defer. So I just, I just walk people through that concept really quick, just to make sure that as fast as possible, they just free up their calendar. And I think sometimes, you know, even the delete side, they're doing things that they should just stop doing, but they've never actually like put in front of them to ask themselves the question, like, why do I even do this? And and sometimes it's just things you do because you made a commitment to somebody and just haven't renegotiated that commitment. Right. So, and then the defer is just deciding like, you know what, if I just put all of my focus into one thing this quarter for the next three months, I'm actually going to get a better aspect of momentum going in my life. So I'm going to defer any of these other projects that I said yes to and, and put them off to, to until I get things in a better spot. So that's the three D's. And I just walk through that, but that's usually things that like suck your energy and don't make you a lot of money anyway. Uh-huh. Then you then you move up to the replacement ladder or the replace quadrant in the uh, the drip matrix, which is the R. Uh-huh. And this is when I I create this framework to help every entrepreneur understand if you had to hire four people in the certain sequence that, from my perspective, is the lowest cost to the biggest ROI for your time and energy. It's these three these four hires, right? The first one is an executive assistant. The key is is most people make the mistake of having an executive assistant and the person does not manage their inbox at 100%. I mean, like every email that comes in, they process mm-hmm. or their calendar at 100%. And if you don't do that, you're getting a probably 30% efficiency out of your executive assistant. It is literally that meaningful to just delegate those two things to somebody else so that you can be 100% focused on doing other stuff. So that's the level one of the uh, replacement ladder. And I won't go through them all, but at a high level, each one has a nuance that I talk about in the book that makes it different than what everybody else has heard in the past. But level two, so level one is executive assistant. Level two is um, uh, fulfillment. Level three is uh, marketing. Level four is sales. And then level five is leadership. And so that's that's the kind of the, the replacement uh, quadrant. That's the top left of like makes you money, but still may not light you up. And then on the right side, you have investment and then produ- produce, which is investment is investing in relationships, in yourself, in your skills, in your beliefs, in your character traits, because those are the things that will actually move the needle for you and your business. You know, and it's so I'm not a fan. That's why the subtitle of the book is Get Unstuck, Reclaim Your Freedom and Build Your Empire. I just, I'm not a four hour work week kind of guy. Like I actually want people to feel fulfilled. I want people to feel useful. I want people to create. I want artists to do more art. So it's not about buying back your time to just go scroll TikTok. (laughs) Yeah. 
That's the, that's the challenge I have. And, and empire, in my definition, is creating a life of unlimited creation that you never have to retire from. Mm-hmm. So until you feel like you can go from speed of thought to creating in the world because you've built an incredible team around you that support you, then that should be your desire is to build an empire and whatever that means for you. So that's where the investment quadrant really matters is because, again, I see people either hire in the wrong sequence or when they hire in the right sequence, they don't know how to fill or invest that time to move their their dreams forward. Yeah, And then produce in the top right quadrant. That's pretty much where I live my life. Um, I do the buyback loop every four months, probably at this stage in my life. And I'm, I'm the CEO of two eight-figure companies that I actively manage. I... I also do Ironmans. I did three last year. Um, I'm doing a Spartan, like physically, I just got back from heli skiing for three days. I take two and a half months of vacation a year. So I, I squeeze as much life in all aspects, um, as you can out of my life. Uh, mm-hmm. and I'm also incredibly productive financially and, you know, spiritual in other areas in my marriage and my kids, but it's because I'm willing to buy back my time. So like, you know, my neighbors, I live in a very affluent neighborhood. And we, we probably are the only family that has a house manager that runs and manages all of our personal assets and coordination and all that stuff right now. My neighbor could afford it, but instead maybe he decided to upgrade to, you know, the latest Mercedes or BMW. I don't know. Like I just assume everybody in my neighborhood absolutely could afford it. They just don't even give themselves permission to think about it. And then they don't understand like, how do you get so much done? I'm like, I'm not putting together furniture that I bought off the internet. (laughs) I'm not, you, you and me both. I'm not, yeah, I'm not managing my, my locker room of toys and moving stuff around from spring to fall to winter and, and, and dealing with the maintenance. I have, I have a team or a person that deals with that and they have a team. And so it's like, I don't run errands. I don't, I don't go to grocery stores. I haven't put gas in my car in three years. Now I don't share that to brag because some people hear that and go like, that's, that's lazy. It's like, you know what? Call me lazy. I will tell you, I'm one of the most intentional, hardworking, people you'll ever meet. I wake up at four in the morning. I do not waste a second of my life. And I am very intentional about how I show up as a father and a husband and a friend. And if that means I deploy capital to buy back my time so I don't do things that don't light me up and are very unique to my skill set, then call me what you want. I'm cool with it. You know, in the interest of time, I want to go through two things. Um, one is the email GPS. You know, it, as I read this book, I realized I have a virtual assistant. I realized like I'm not utilizing her to the extent that I could. And calendar and email were kind of one of those things that I was just like, yeah, I do end up spending too much time here. And it's actually not that much. It's like 10 minutes a day. But even that, I'm just like, okay, why am I doing this? Um, so talk to me about this email GPS idea, because when I saw this, I was like, perfect. This is great. It's all written down clearly. And I can basically convert it into a template for my my VA now. Well, best thing you should do, Shreena, is just give her a copy of my book and tell her to read the chapter. Like that's what everybody's <laughs> doing right now, which is awesome. Okay. They're like, be yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's just, it's just funner. And then they'll have more context for finding opportunities to actually support you, which I think is the big, the big idea with a great executive assistant is they're proactively telling you what they could take over ways they can support you, which is cool. But yeah, email GPS is the idea is that like everything in that comes into my world is processed by somebody else first. And only the things I need to review and respond to are brought into my life. And, I'll, and I, even at that, I don't, I don't actually do them. I just talk with the person to get them done. So, and I learned this watching Richard Branson. Like I was fortunate and I think it was 2016, I got invited to his home in Switzerland and I spent a week with him. And Richard Branson, the founder of Virgin, um, you know, a group of companies, he's the CEO of 400, he, he's, 
the owner of the Virgin group of companies, they have 400 companies. Each one has a CEO and, and, and that group of companies has two CEOs that run it. They're co-CEOs. And I watch this billionaire who is literally the billionaire every other billionaire wants to be like, live his life. And one of the core tenants is everything goes through Helen. Helen is his executive assistant. He does not do email. He like sits down and has breakfast with Helen every day. And for 60 to 90 minutes, they review only the things that Helen can't respond to or route and then ask Richard about it. And then he gives his two cents. And as they do that, she learns and more and more things get taken care of on. Now, he still has meetings with people. He just he just works with Helen to figure out which meetings does he need to be there at? Which ones can he defer to somebody on his team? So the email GPS uh, works similarly where, because inbo- your inbox is nothing more than a public to-do list of a stranger on your time. Think about that. That's all it is. It's request of you from people you may or may not know on your time. And, and for most people, they just allow anybody to add a line item on that to-do list, which is banana. So for me, I have my assistant respond and then there's different folders that she'll put things in. There is the, the primary folder and you can do this as a label in Gmail or folder in Outlook or whatever email tool you use. But my quote unquote inbox is a subfolder of everything that's just my name, right? And that's what my phone points to and my laptop and that's just the one place. And I may get five emails a day in there and they're usually from you know family members or whatnot. Um, the other folder is to respond, which is a label that my assistant applies to every email she replied to. So if I ever want to see how she's replying to people, I can just go look at that. The review folder is anything that she has that she would like my perspective on, right? Or if something ends up in my inbox and I really thought we should have reviewed it uh, together for her to process, I'll just put a label at review. Then there's responded. Um, sorry, the responded is what I said earlier. It's the folder that anything she responds to is labeled uh, responded. The to respond is kind of a neat way for me to take something in my inbox and give it to her to respond to. So maybe she puts it like, as I invest in a bunch of companies. So I might have a term sheet in my inbox. I review the term sheet or I send it to my lawyer. He replies and he gives me some notes. I consider those notes and then I'll, I'll label it to respond. And then my assistant knows that means to get it signed and sent back, right? There's a folder called waiting on, which is things that she has replied to and she's waiting on somebody so that in case she needs to escalate it to me to do a text message to follow up with somebody, she can do that. Um, There's a financials folder for anything financially related that she forwards on our finance team, but I can always go check in there to see receipts and all that stuff. So it's in my inbox, which is cool because if I'm ever traveling, I I can't find something, I can just search my emails and it's there. And then newsletters, you know, anything that has an unsubscribe link in there, that's where it goes. And I choose, you know, maybe on Friday afternoon to spend an hour or two just reviewing newsletter emails and opening up stuff for my friends or things I want. But it's not stuff that clouds my day to day, right? It's more of a pull versus a being pushed on me approach. And that's, that's, that's how I manage the email. And it is a beautiful way of doing it. All my companies I'm involved in go to one inbox. She manages and she processes 95% of the stuff. And if 1% gets in my inbox, 4% gets put in review. And we just keep getting better and better as we work together. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, you know, in the interest of time, I can just give us an overview of playbooks. And then I have two things that I want to wrap up with. Yeah. The, I mean, the playbooks, the big idea is the camcorder method. So um, 
most people sit down, they read the E-Myth or Sam Carpenter's work, the system, and they're like, I'm going to create uh, SOPs, standard operating procedures. Most SOPs go stale within a month, meaning that you write them and nobody updates them, nobody uses them, and then they're not even accurate because systems and software changes so often that if you, you know, you made them too detailed, it wouldn't work. The way I do is I just record everything I do. So anytime I'm about to like uh, out task or buy back my time around, I just record myself doing the task. I mean, as simple as like when I was doing my YouTube videos, I would record myself publishing the videos and uploading the scripts and sending the emails and adding the blog posts and, you know, setting up a publish, you know, Twitter and LinkedIn and all this stuff. And I did that for probably six weeks until I eventually just uh, transferred it over to my executive assistant and she watched the recordings. So I had probably four or five recordings of me doing it because I used to do it every Monday and it would take me like three or four hours. And then eventually she watched it and she created the playbook and then she owned it. And, and that's the whole key in the book. I talk about transactional versus transformational leadership. She owned the outcome and was responsible for the playbook. And one of my rules as a company is we don't, any playbook that we have for a task has to be open when you're doing it, right? Because if you notice that it's stale or out of, um, you know, it's out of whack or whatever, you can fix it because you have it open, right? So that's that's the big idea behind playbooks that I have a unique perspective on because I think a lot of people just overcomplicate it and it can be that simple. Yeah. Well, let's wrap this up by talking about this idea of a 10x vision. And I want to bring back a clip from an episode where I had a conversation with Greg Hartle, which I thought would make kind of an interesting uh, contrast to talking about this idea of 10x. Take a listen. They were born in a way that they are just going to win no matter what. And so those people, are not good models to follow. For the rest of us, what we should be doing is we should be creating a safe environment in which we can be as vulnerable as we need to be to not only hold on to the possible, but to actually increase our chances of the probable. And we don't create those environments for ourselves. As a society, as a government, as businesses, as a culture, in America, we tend not to create vulnerable environments that allow us to be safe enough, to be exposed enough to actually increase our probabilities. So what we do is we, one, look at all these examples of people that don't need that, and we try to live like them. Yeah. And then we fail, and then we experience unnecessary suffering. And then two, we hold on we, we can't find the safe places to explore our vulnerabilities and our flaws and the fact that it's not probable for us to be like them. So given this idea of 10x vision uh, and what Greg said in that clip, how do you basically couple those two things together? It's beautiful. I, what I loved that Greg said is, is finding a safe place to explore our flaws. I, I don't know. There's just something that really resonated with that with me just coming back from uh, essentially a ski trip of 48 incredible entrepreneurs and um, realizing that I have that safe place with many of the people and the conversation I had. Um, to me, the, the 10x vision is essentially this philosophy that it's easier to do 10x than 2x. Like a lot of people, they they get like super anxious when they think of their lives. So like doubling their business, right? Because immediately they go to like, 
oh my God, it's going to be double the pain and double this. And, and it's scary. Um, 10, 10X is great because 10X forces you to go, oh, I couldn't even do that without fundamentally changing the paradigm of how I approach my business, which is actually what I'm hoping to shake loose with that framework. Um, because that's really the big idea is, is just focus on things that scare you um, and then use that as a kind of like either an aspirational or inspirational kind of like outcome to push you forward to do the things that will will scare you. Like that'll that'll force you to question your, you know, what I call outsized fears to basic things like having somebody else respond to your emails. Like some people are like, I could never do that. It's like, just try it. You know, like you, I think people have like, I could never have somebody in my house cleaning my house. It's like, try it. You know, I don't know what belief you have around it, but I'm, you know, I'm, I've seen it happen over and over. I think maybe it's, you know, outsized or irrational in response to the, the outcome. So that's, that's, that's whole thing. I really like what he had to say about kind of the fears and stuff, but yeah, that's the, the reason I wrote the 10 X vision is I think that people are without something to pull them forward. They're just going to look at the pain of their current existence and rationalize that it's okay. And it's Mm -hmm. just not because I think their giftedness needs to be expressed more in the world. And that's what I want for every entrepreneur out there. I, I appreciate that because I think what you're not saying is be unrealistic and have, you know, delusional dreams of what you're going to accomplish. Nope. I'm saying allow yourself to dream. And uh, in that act, even if you didn't ever come close to it, it's just a, it's a forcing function or a pull mechanism, right? Like the, the reason why, I mean, I learned this just on people. Most people quit companies because they haven't given them a future that they see themselves in, right? When they run out of runway, they just run out of you. So if I'm working, you know, like a lot of my clients that I coach, when they have like key people that quit, I'm like, they didn't quit because they didn't like the work. They just didn't see how their personal goals and their future alignment that they had were going to be supported by your vision because you never communicated it to them. Mm -hmm. So even, even just forcing yourself to ask yourself, like, what am I doing this for? right? Climbing the ladder of success. Like what, what is at the top of that ladder? What are you trying to do? Because if you don't have that, how are you supposed to create alignment? And and what if you have that ladder leaned against the wall? And when you get at the top, you're like, oh crap, I, I leaned it against the wrong wall. It's supposed to be against this other wall. I just created this crazy world that I don't want to live into. I mean, this is literally the conversation I have with my coaching clients as it pertains to the buyback principle in this book is before we even talk about what you want to accomplish, first, we've got to make sure we have a clear understanding of what do you want your life to look like? Yeah. If you don't know what you want your life to look like and to the same degree of specificity that you can describe your current life, then how are we supposed to make any decisions to move anything forward in our lives without worrying that it's out of alignment? Mm. Yeah, you know, it's funny when you're talking about this 10X idea, uh, Julian Smith has been mentoring me and I remember one of our last calls, he had given me this way to think about things. He said, you know, when you think about these metrics, he said, you know, run your, you know, plans for the day through. How could I add a zero to this metric? Mm-hmm. It's just a fun forcing function for you to like, because you mentioned it, I got to shift the paradigm, right? Like how do I shift my paradigm around marketing and sales and leadership and growth and output? Because if it's just more of the same thing you're doing, that actually is not the answer. It never is. Because if you could just do more of what you're doing, you'd already have the results you're after and you don't. So how you're approaching it, 
is completely non-supportive. That's why I think there's been a groundswell around around the book and the ideas in the book is because it is counter to how everybody's thought about hiring and growing in their business. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Well, I know you got to get going. So uh, I want to finish with one final question, which is how we finish all of our interviews here at the Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? That they are a hundred thousand percent themselves. So the way I explain it is if the person that you show up in the world as is the same person I would see if I was recording you 24-7, physically, externally recording you and recording your thoughts in your mind. If what I would record and how you show up in the world, if that's 100% the same, that is what makes somebody unmistakable. It's why we admire those kind of peoples in the world. Hmm. Amazing. Well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your story and your wisdom and insights with our listeners. Where can people find out more about you, uh, your work, the book, and everything that you're up to? Yeah, I'm Dan Martell, 2000martell.com, and Dan Martell on all social platforms, YouTube, TikTok, LinkedIn, Instagram. Instagram stories is my jam. It's my favorite output for social. And then the book is at buybackyourtime.com. It is available in all retail stores, so go get your copy in person or better yet, send your assistant to go get it um, or get it on Amazon, wherever you want. But I do have a free workbook that you can download that supports a lot of the exercises in the book to make it even more impactful on the website, buybackertime.com. Srini, it's been an honor, man. I really appreciate you. Yeah, absolutely. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolves. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. 
This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.